Hey, it's Ariel from iHeartRadio. I am in with the Equalizing Justice team. Now, the courtrooms may be closed, uh, but the Equalizing Justice team is still fighting for you, now on both sides of the bay. Welcome to In the Trenches with the Equalizing Justice team. Each member has a specific specialty, so let's take a second and get to know each one of them. You guys can introduce yourself, talk about your specific um, area of law and the number of years that you've practiced. I'm Sarah Dorger mm-hmm. of the Hernandez and Dorger Law Firm. I've been practicing law in Mobile County and Baldwin County for almost 20 years. My practice has been devoted mostly to civil matters. I handle contract disputes, I handle shareholder disputes, I handle commercial transactions, disputes that arise out of those. Just general business and commercial business litigation and small business advice. Especially right now, there's a lot of questions about what to do with closures of business and potential insurance claims related to business interruption matters. Those are all matters that I can look at and try to help a small business the best that I can. If you come in to meet with me, there's things that I'm going to need you to bring. Mm -hmm. In a civil case, especially in contract or other types of disputes, I'm going to need to look at all the documents that pertain to what you and the other party are are in dispute about. Mm -hmm. That can be commercial leases, that can be contracts for the delivery of services or goods, Mm -hmm. that can include, you know, looking at um, employee handbooks, employee uh, other personnel matters related to employment matters. But bring the documents that pertain to what you think may be relevant to your case. That will help me assess and determine what, if anything, I can do to help you. Christine. Oh, it's me? Yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christine Hernandez. I've been practicing since 2007, and um, I've been an owner of the Hernandez firm. And it's great news to, to say that we have now merged with the Dorger firm. It's Christine Hernandez and Sarah Dorger. Megan Allgood and Grady Edmondson are now working together as one great team for equalizing justice. I have been practicing in the area of criminal law, domestic law, civil litigation, civil rights, federal and state courts um, for some time now. And what we're trying to do is bring everybody together, give you an opportunity to come in with one stop, see any of us for any of your legal needs, and uh, we're here. We're working. If you want to call us, call us. We'll set up a phone consult. If you want to come in and see us, we'll do that too. Uh, reach out to us on our on our website. You can learn a little bit more about us and uh, join us anytime for uh, any of your legal needs. Now to Grady. I'm Grady Edmondson. I've been practicing for over 27 years here in Mobile. I primarily uh, focus on family uh, law matters and probate state matters if you come in to see me and it's a deals with something either divorce or custody visitation child support or those matters that pertain to family law then what I would need from you is information concerning if it's a divorce your assets your debts uh, reasons for the breakdown in your marriage name and ages of your children if they go to school your income where you're employed, uh, how health insurance is covered, and information like that would be very beneficial if you bring that into me on the, your initial visit. If it concerns a post-judgment or a post-custody uh, issue, then any previous court orders, 
I would need a copy of so we can discuss what has changed uh, today and what we're looking at and the issues that we're going to be looking at in a family law situation. Family law can occur in divorce court, of course, and it can occur in juvenile court for those who are not married. So and it can also involve DHR a lot of times, both in family court and juvenile court. So I would need to know all that information in order to properly advise you of your rights and what your options are and concerning family law matters. Uh, as far as probate estate matters, I would like a copy of any uh, wills in order for me to determine who the heirs are, what the uh, assets of the estate are, and other information that is necessary to open up an estate or to handle estate matters. And again, I've had a lot of uh, years of experience in working in both of these areas. And if, if you're helpful in providing the information and, of course, uh, truthful in the situation, that would, go, that would be very beneficial in me being able to advise you properly in any case that comes before me. Hello, I'm Megan Allgood. I have been practicing for about six years. Uh, I have been with this firm for a little over three years. Uh, my practice consists primarily of criminal law and domestic, um, and Grady went over everything domestic pretty well. What all I would need if you come to meet with me regarding any divorce or custody dispute. Regarding criminal, um, first I would request that if you're able to come alone, um, I know for a lot of people it's very scary if you're charged with something criminally and you may want a parent or a friend, a spouse, some type of support system with you. However, um, once you sit in my office, we have a confidential relationship and anything that you say to me um, stays confidential, but when you have a relative or a friend with you, um, that could hurt that relationship. Uh, so I would request if you uh, fill up to it to come alone or at least come into my office alone. Also to bring with you uh, your uh, any ticket or complaint that you may have. Um, this will help me look, look into what you are actually charged with and may assist in me looking it up online and to any program that that city or county may have. Also, if you have any pictures um, that are relevant to the event, to the allegations that they are making, and any witness contact information. I have a lot of people who sit down who will say, well, I had a friend here, there, or um, I know somebody who knows somebody who saw that this is not what really happened. Well, I need to know that somebody's name and their phone number, and that will assist me in better defending you. Okay, well, now that we know what to bring, um, to our very first meetings. Uh, a lot of people now are wondering what do the fees look like? And you have different types of fees. Sarah, we'll start with you. What um, the different types of fees, what should they expect when coming to meet you? Well, if you're coming in to talk with me about a civil matter, more than likely we're going to look at an hourly rate mm -hmm. and what the rates are for myself, other, other lawyers in the firm who may be working under me, other under my direction, as well as our support staff and paralegal time. That usually is going to be a combination of an upfront retainer that we will put in our trust account that we can bill against for our hourly work, and in a combination with um, a replenishment of that retainer fee going forward when those funds are earned and the client allows disbursement. 
those are rules that we comply with under the Alabama Rules of Professional Conduct. Um, it's very common for lawyers to do that in receipt of funds, retainer funds, going to the trust account until those fees are earned. Another type of fee that you may have heard in the news or heard uh, through commercials or other um, online or marketing um, purposes for what you see in lawyers that advertise on TV is a contingency fee agreement. A contingency fee agreement is allowed under the Alabama Rules of Professional Conduct. What that says is we can take your matter on contingency, which means if we are successful in recovering a settlement or a judgment or a collection of funds on your behalf, we will take a percentage of that fee. That fee um, is only earned if we are able to successfully obtain any kind of recovery for you and on behalf of the client. In those type scenarios, you'll, um, especially with our firm, we will make sure you have that in writing as we will again comply with our rules of professional conduct. You'll know up front what kind of fee we propose and that's um, something that you and you and I as the client, or you as the client and I as the lawyer will come to an agreement on the front end. Uh, flat fees are not usually something that I do in my civil practice. That's probably more geared towards maybe what Megan or uh, Chris do or Christine do or Brady may do those in certain scenarios related to family law. So I'll let them touch on that. But those are my two big uh, ways that fees are earned for the services that I'm used to providing and have provided for my clients over the years. This is Christine Hernandez. With flat fees, a lot of times that's based uh, strictly on the type of, of case that you have and the needs that you have, especially in criminal law, depending on where you are in the process, whether it's a preliminary hearing, a bond hearing, a, an, an appeal, perhaps it's uh, looking at trial in the circuit court. We look at all of the details, how complicated the matter is, what's going to be involved, and then we quote a flat fee for that. We do allow a payment plan on that. Um, and we individually meet with you to create a plan that's that's best suited for you. We also do flat fees with some of our other um, other types of, of law that we practice. Sometimes we do those with uncontested adoptions or with uncontested divorces, also with quadros and things like that. A quadro is a qualified domestic relations order, and that comes after the divorce is over with, and there was an award of splitting income with regards to 401ks and retirement accounts such that we need a separate uh, document, a separate plan done. Those we will handle in a uh, flat fee arrangement. We have other, other types of cases that we also handle flat fee arrangements with, but each one is tailored specifically to the facts of your case, and you will be talking about that with the attorney in particular that you're meeting with and or later assigned to or that you're working with um, in an ongoing relationship. All right, I think uh, you, you covered it for everybody. Now, the point of this podcast is to manage the expectations of possible clientele. And I know a lot of us, you know, watch TV, have seen Matlock or maybe Annalise Keating fighting in the courtrooms. But what is the legitimate expectation they should know when they hire you as an attorney and going to court? Does it, is it solved in an hour? It is not solved in an hour. Um, sometimes cases take several years to resolve. Sometimes they can be resolved in just a short period of time. It kind of depends on what people are fighting over, what people are charged with, what people, what situations they're actually in. Sometimes we can handle it in a matter of minutes within the office itself. It's just a real simple thing that we can handle with a phone call or something like that. But then there's times where it's full-blown litigation and we're going to have to go to court and have a trial and it, and it takes a while. 
The most difficult area of the trial process is the discovery process, and, and we ask people to be really, really patient during that time period because it is a long, a long drawn out process in getting all of the documents and all of the information necessary, all the witnesses interviewed, all of the statements, so that you can manage the actual trial with the understanding that we don't have any surprises at trial. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you come in and you tell us so-and-so saw something and we ask you who they are and then you provide their information, we also want you to talk to that person and tell them to cooperate with us so that we can get the information. The longer it takes for us to get the information that you have or your friend has or your witness has, then the longer it's going to take for the litigation process. And I will add to that, especially in the discovery phase of a civil case, uh, I have seen discovery matters in state courts where it can take years to get all that information. And, and a perfect example of that is you've got multiple parties who are adverse to each other. Those parties may be individuals, they may be corporations or other business entities. People within the companies themselves know different types of information, and so you as the lawyer, as you're trying to piece together what happened, there's infinite possibilities of who could be out there to have information. And so you'll exchange what we call written discovery, where you're asking for documents, which are known as requests for production. You'll send questions to the other side, which are questions to be answered under oath. Those are known as interrogatories. You, And in those particular scenarios, you're asking for you know, tell us about what you know with regard to this particular plant closure. Who within your company knows the reasons why and when and, and what happened related to that event. Um, other matters that written, what we call written discovery include, include requests for admissions where you'll ask the opposing parties to request or admit or deny, you know, facts that may be in dispute. Um, and then generally in civil cases, especially big complicated business type related litigation or any type of um, complicated civil dispute that could last for several years, when you get past the written discovery phase, you'll proceed to what the civil lawyers do a lot, which is depositions. And depositions is, is court testimony, but you're not actually in court. You're in a conference room, there's a court reporter, you're under oath, the other lawyers on the other side are asking you questions. If your client is being deposed, you're there defending the, the, the questions that are that are asked of your clients. There's a lot of procedural matters that lawyers who practice civil cases know when it comes to depositions and how to defend those, how to take those. Some of those depositions can last for days, if not weeks. Um, I've been in a deposition of a corporate witness. It's a, it's a term of art. It's called a 30B6 deposition. But... I've been in one of those depositions where it literally lasted three weeks, and it's because there were probably seven or eight adverse parties that had been sued by the one party that was making the claims. Each of those parties had their own lawyers. Each of those parties were alleged to have done or not done certain things, and so you're deposing the corporate entity that's making the claims, and everybody's got a lot of information that they're trying to find out. So. What you see on TV and all these great mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, legal shows, they're fun. They're really fun to watch, but they're not the reality of what it means to actually be a litigator and to prepare a case for trial. And in the civil context, um, taking that discovery phase and being successful, trying to be efficient with your client, but also having to respond when the other side refuses to give you documents. And then you get into what we call motion practice, where you're before the judge and you're arguing this is why it's relevant, and the judge is you know, trying to make a decision about 
okay, I need to give them this or they're not going to get that. That that all takes time. Yeah. And in the world that we're in right now with the uh, uncertainty over the coronavirus itself, uh, the civil side of litigation and being able to get those disputes resolved um, quickly is probably going to be affected for a long time. And it's because our judges are going to be working as hard as they can, but we're all in a different situation than we are now than we were 30 days ago. So um, justice delayed is justice denied, and uh, we don't want those scenarios and those principles to apply to our client, but unfortunately in the world that we are in right now and going forward, we continue to do our best on behalf of our civil, civil clients and clients that are going to have genuine disputes uh, related to this ongoing matter that we're in as well as existing you know, disputes that have nothing to do with the current coronavirus epidemic in the country. I guess in the uh, domestic relations or family law type of cases, the biggest issue you have with clients is the time frame in which a divorce will occur or a decision about custody or visitation rights will occur. And the court system, you have to understand, we have limited amount of judges that handle these issues. They're all bench trials. We don't deal with juries. We deal with bench trials. In Mobile County, we have two judges who handle all the di divorce cases. And then in juvenile court, we have two judges here in Mobile that handle the juvenile and the non-married uh, custody and visitation cases. And so, in the same way over in Baldwin County, we have basically a limited number of judges handling all the issues in these counties. And so the court system gets a little backed up in these cases. And what is considered an emergency by the court and an emergency by the client are two different things. Uh, the court will address custody and visitation issues on an emergency basis if you can prove and you can, that the health, safety, and welfare of the child is in danger uh, if it remains uh, in the custody of one person over the other or if visitation is not allowed. It's a very high standard to meet with the court and it's a lot higher than what an ordinary or normal parent would think an emergency situation is. So it's very difficult to sometimes explain to litigants the difference in the viewpoints of a judge and a parent. And so you have to deal with that. If you have a divorce that's complicated, that's custody or involves a tremendous amount of financial assets, it requires bank statements, tax statements, even experts in custodies like uh, psychiatrists and psychologists, then you're looking at a very time-consuming and long-drawn-out litigation. And it's very difficult for people who do not like to be around each other at the time of divorce to continue to have to deal with each other and maybe even live in the same home place for a year or two during the length of litigation. It is a very, very difficult situation for litigants, and they don't understand why it takes so long to get to court. But we're, in family law, it's a civil case. It's just a bench trial. But you still have to do the discovery. You still have to take depositions. You still have to have expert witnesses. And many times, if you have businesses involved, you have to have accountants come in and do business valuation. That takes time. It's just not as simple as, I want a divorce. I want out of this marriage. Let me get out today. And you, it just doesn't happen that way. And if you don't have any assets or children, 
yeah, you probably can get out a lot quicker. Yeah. But if you have any complicating issues, it's going to take time. And that's the most difficult deal with dealing with litigants, for them to understand the time expense associated with litigation in a custody situation or visitation or a contested divorce. Not only do you have the time expense uh, in the length of the litigation, you have the financial expense. The more complicated a, a case is, the more costly the case is, not only in the time consumption of the lawyer and the paralegals and the other support staff, but also if you have to hire experts, they aren't cheap. Psychologists and psychiatrists aren't cheap. Business valuations aren't cheap. Taking depositions and doing mediations is not cheap. So there's an expense associated with litigating complex uh, family law matters, as well as complex estate matters. So you have that expense, and then you have the emotional expense uh, for litigation. Uh, if you're involved in custody uh, and even contested probate estates, there is an emotional cost to the litigant. There are going to be times in where you're high, and there are going to be the low times, and it's going to be an ebb and flow throughout the litigation. And maintaining that and trying to control that for litigants is a very difficult thing to do. So it's hard to go through litigation if you're involved in it and be able to sit back and see those things happening and understand it. And that's just human nature. And that's my goal is to try to be honest with you up front if you come in and tell me, I'm pretty honest. I'm going to tell you what the good points about your case are and what the bad points about your case are. That's what we want from you. You want the truth. You want me to tell you your strengths and weaknesses in your position. And I'm not gonna, I am not going to uh, lie to you about it. I am going to try to give you a reasonable expectation of what you can expect out of litigation. And that's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in, in domestic, we see a lot of um, issues with child support or maybe even spousal support while the case is pending um, and is that that is something that can be addressed while the case is pending but it, it is based on income uh, we have some clients who for some reason believe that when they split their spouse automatically starts making double and can just give them all this money to take care of both of them which I think kind of goes back to what Grady was saying there's some families who are forced to still live in the same home um, a lot of times because of finances, and that is stressful. Um, but there, there is a way to get support while the case is pending, and that is something that we can absolutely help with. There is also a difference between uncontested and contested. The uncontested, everybody's agreeing on everything, then obviously that can get over a lot faster, and the, the fee is much, much less. And like Grady said, um, contested divorces can get very pricey, so that's definitely something to consider. There's also a lot of time concerns with criminal cases. So we all know of shows like Law & Order. Everybody knows that that's not true, but we see these people who something bad happens, and then somebody's arrested, and then they go to trial, all within an hour, and that uh, never happens. Uh, and then we also have our shows that seem to be a little bit more real, like the first 48. That's not always the case. Um, everything is not found out within 48 hours most of the time, and even if within 48 hours they do find a suspect, 
That person is just a suspect. They are presumed innocent. They are purely a suspect, somebody they're looking into. Their investigation has just begun. So to think that within 48 hours of something happening that we just know at the end of that 48 hours who did it and we know that they're just going away forever, that's, that's absolutely not true. There's so many different issues with so many different cases um, that could lead to a case taking a long time especially in the criminal arena. For example, we have so many people in our jail right now who are just, just have mental health issues. They should probably be in a hospital somewhere, but because we do not have the funds to do that, they go out there, they do something silly, they get charged with a crime, and now they're in jail. And now our uh, corrections officers get to work with them when um, they, that, that's not what they should have to do, but either way, that's, that's where we are. And so we have these clients who are, are just mental health patients. And so now there's um, extra things that go along with that. We have to file certain motions to bring that issue before the court. We have to then have a doctor go and evaluate that person and make sure um, that they are okay to stand trial. And if they are not, they then have to, their case takes a completely different turn. If they are okay to stand trial and they are mentally competent enough, then they have to be evaluated um, on their mental capacity at the time of the offense. This process takes several months. And it is something that very often worries the family especially if it's somebody who cannot make bond and now they're sitting in jail for months just waiting to be evaluated by a doctor when we do not have enough doctors to go around and uh, it, it's just it's a really crummy situation but we do the best that we can we do everything we can to make sure that uh, the doctors get to us when they can and that we are able to continue on with that process and uh, you know also I think Christine and Grady has hit this, and Sarah as well. There's always discovery issues. Discovery is so important in any case, and so we really want to make sure that we have all discovery and we have our case lined up before we take it to trial. I have one other thing that I want to add: mediation. Um, I know Grady. I know we've all participated in mediation in some form or fashion, and I know Grady has handled mediation cases himself where he's been the mediator, and I've handled mediation cases myself where I've been the mediator. And in, in using mediation, that can shorten the, the duration of the entire legal process. There's some expense that's associated with mediation as well. Sometimes we can do mediation with pro se parties. That's very difficult to do. However, it has been done, and we can do that. Um, however, one of the other things is both sides have to be willing to mediate in order to have an effective mediation. And that doesn't mean that they have to be ready to settle, but they do have to be willing to listen and to participate. And that's a, that's a very important thing. I also want to add a couple more things listening to what Grady was talking about when getting information from a client and how important it is to give that client sage advice if, to the extent that you can. You, The last person that you need to lie to is your lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it takes two or three meetings with the client 
to get to the bottom of what's really going on. As your advocate, I need to know everything, not just what you think I need to know, because if you have or know of something that has happened or you have done something that you should not have done or you're worried about, I need to know that because then that's going to help me evaluate everything for you, whether I try to get a significant reduction in the time it's going to take to litigate your case, whether I try to get an early settlement if possible. All of those facts, even if they're bad for you, I need to know them. And I can't adequately, we can't adequately do the best that we can for you if you are not telling us everything Everything, and I mean everything, we need to know it. Um, I also will add on the civil side, going back to other matters that we can handle, there's probably going to be a lot of these uh, claims coming out in the future, and that's EEOC claims. They're, they're ongoing. There's a process that you can go through with the federal government when you believe you are the victim of workplace discrimination. Those EEOC matters are administrative matters. They require hitting a, a lot of dotting of I's and crossing of T's when it comes to meeting those federal regulations. And we can assist clients in navigating that process as well. So that keep that in mind, especially for healthcare workers out there now that are worried about enough adequate protective equipment as they're on the front lines dealing with the current public health crisis. Um, a lot of legal issues are gonna come out of that. And the EOC process um, maybe a way to speed track some of those or fast track some of those issues that employees are going to face and employers as well. If, if an employee you know files an EEOC matter, how, how do they defend that? How do they, how do they look at that? What, what, are, what are the potential liabilities? Those are matters that we can handle um, both on both sides, employees or employers. So keep that in mind as well. Um, also, during this time, there's a lot of people who are at home, bored, with not much to do, and so I would urge you to be careful with your social media, um, especially to the criminal clients. I have had clients who post live videos of them smoking weed, and it's just unnecessary, and it makes my job a lot harder, um, so I would encourage you to to stay off of it, or if you're not going to stay off it, just be careful about it. Before you post, think to yourself, is this legal? And if it's not, just don't post it. it it's really that simple. And as far as the parents out there who are um, looking at maybe a custody dispute or maybe a potential divorce, be careful about what you're posting on social media as well because your soon-to-be ex-spouse will absolutely use it against you if they can. If you are on Facebook joking with other moms about how much wine you're going to consume because you're stuck at home with your kids, you better be prepared for your soon-to-be ex-spouse to use that as she doesn't even want to be around our kids. I love my kids. He drinks all the time. Little things that you think may be a joke posted on social media can really be spun against you. We all do it. And so just be prepared for that. Be thinking of that. Something that you think may be a silly joke, it, it could really hurt you. Just remember, think before you post. Yes. One of the other things that we do here is we do a lot of appellate work. So if you don't like the outcome of your case, it doesn't necessarily mean you get a do-over. 
However, there may be arguments that can be made to give you another shot at some particular issue uh, that happened in your case. So we also do a lot of appellate work, and that is generally flat fee work. All right, anything else? Wonderful. All right. Well, this has been In the Trenches with the Equalizing Justice team serving both sides of the bay. You can find them online at equalizingjustice.com. I am Ariel Maxwell from iHeartMedia. No representation is made that legal services performed are greater than the quality of legal services of others. 